welcome to Influence, the podcast that dives deep into the heart of influencer marketing and the creator economy with the people who know it best, the agents, creators, and marketers who operate behind the scenes. This podcast is hosted by Powder, where streamers can search their best moments to find short, shareable stream clips with AI. And I'm your host, Alyssa Goldberg. Today, we have with us Camille Martinache, co-founder of Black Soup, a gaming influencer agency which helps brands develop their influencer marketing strategies and connect them with the right influencers to execute big campaigns. Camille is based in Berlin and Black Soup has already completed campaigns for Riot, Epic, Focus Entertainment, Bungie, Bethesda, and more. And along with his co-founder, Timo, Camille has led the influencer marketing program at Vinted and was part of the team at Navali. Needless to say, we are super excited to welcome you to the show today and can't wait to learn from you. So welcome. It's a treat to have you with us. Thank you so much, Alyssa. Can you share the story behind founding Black Soup? What inspired you to start an agency that develops influencer marketing strategies uh, in gaming in particular? Well, it starts before Black Soup. Um, Timo and I, we met at our previous agency, um, and back then we were tasked with, um, so it was an agency that was within gaming, but wasn't focused on influencers at all. And we were tasked with um, building up a business around influencer marketing. Um, and the reason that sounded appealing to me personally uh, was because I've, I've always been a, a big YouTube fan. Um, I've watched the very first YouTube channels, uh, the very first YouTube multi-channel networks, uh, followed the business behind the scene, um, and was always interested in not only the content, but also the statistics, the effectiveness of it, why it uh, was so engaging. Um, and so um, it sounded like a perfect match between two different passions, which was social media and gaming. Um, I've always been a gamer as well. Um, and so it just, um, yeah, was a, a match made in heaven back then uh, for a first experience um, in, in the gaming industry. Um, and we did this for around four, four and a half years. Um, and then Timo and myself founded Black Soup. Um, we're uh, actually turning five years old today. We founded. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so. Um, we, we need to celebrate more. We wanted to send uh, our, our employees um, donuts, uh, but we realized that all of them are remote, <laughs> live in different places that don't necessarily have delivery services. So next year we need to plan a bit more ahead. Uh, so there's a couple of reasons why we left the old agency. Um, it was heading in a different direction. Um, it was an investor-led company, so it, has, it had very clear um, growth ambitions. And those growth ambitions also meant that um, we had to take on clients that we didn't necessarily feel were a good match. And it was all about basically generating more revenues. Um, mm. The team grew quickly as well. And with the team growing that quickly, we lost a little bit of the culture we had at the very early beginning. And we wanted to find that again with Black Soup. Um, and we also wanted to have a very clear positioning on the market because the other agency was doing both um, talent and brand agency mm. side of the business. Um, and we felt very strongly about the necessity to separate those. We back then decided to focus clearly on the brand side. So advising brands, in most cases, gaming brands, on how to enter the market, how to work with influencers, what type of content to do. What was it like getting your first client? You have an impressive roster of, of companies that you've worked with, but 
how did you, when you guys first opened the agency, convince people to take that chance on you to manage their campaign? Yeah, I mean, we kind of cheated because we've been doing this before Black Soup. So obviously we had a network when we started the agency and that made it definitely significantly easier to start the initial reach out and to at least talk about it and get the conversation going. I think um, there's so many new agencies popping out, uh, popping up everywhere for influencer marketing that it's very difficult if you don't have a network and years of experience mm. to have that kind of entry unless you have a very special offering or very unique mm. offering. Um, in our case, the network definitely helped. It's been word of mouth since then mostly. It's been just being consistent, um, having excellent customer service, um, I think um, just doing a good work. Okay, so um, imagine that I'm a game studio or game publisher and I have a big release coming up. How would you typically work with me and how would you hire your first influencers for the campaign? How does that work? The very first step is always just the first conversation, trying to understand what the goals are. Um, and if there are no goals yet, if it's really an explorative conversation, then trying to define those goals together with the client. Um, and I think that's that's often where campaigns fail nowadays. A lot of people do influencer marketing for the sake of doing influencer marketing, mm. but they don't really question what is the purpose, what's my intent, what do I want to achieve? There's many ways to do influencer marketing. So if you don't have a clear goal, you're not going to choose the right way to work with influencers. Could be obviously driving sales, but trying to be more specific than just driving sales. Could be in specific regions. It could be within a specific target group. So yeah, just try to be as specific as possible when formulating your goals, which will define ultimately the strategy that you choose. Some clients have a very strong preference about how they want to be perceived as a brand, and therefore they also need to be matched with the right creators that match mm -hmm. to their brand, right? The initial steps are always very explorative. And once we've done this initial work, which can take a couple of weeks, we have that strategy um, defined, and then we just go out. And I think the, the very classical steps of influencer marketing would be influencer discovery. So finding the right creators that fit, fit your strategy, all the negotiation, contracting, and communication work that you need to do. So reaching out to those influencers, mm. making them an offer, preparing contracts for them, briefing them. That is often the most tedious part of the job. And then finally reporting, uh, making sure that we reach our goals, uh, making adjustments based on ongoing reportings, and then also learning from the campaigns that you do. I mean, mm. I've been doing this for roughly 10 years now, but the landscape is changing all the time. So what worked six months ago might not work today. And so I think having a very open mind about changing your approach is very important to be successful in this business. I have so many questions. Um, okay, so when you're trying, let's say a brand is extremely specific about their brand identity, they're really concerned with brand safety. I imagine that people come in with very specific requirements like, uh, I want to reach the 15 to 25 year old male demographic in Northern England or something. How do you typically vet them? Is it as simple as just watching a lot of video and kind of making that assessment for yourself? Or are there often, tools often of the trade that you've learned? Yeah, there are tools. Uh, and I think um, even Twitch and YouTube themselves, they have maturity filters. Um, mm. So that gives you an, a, an initial idea. But to be honest, they're not to be trusted. Uh, just because someone streams to an 18 plus audience on Twitch doesn't necessarily mean that they're not brand safe. Right. Um, so, so often we have to go deep into the content, watch the content, try to understand. Um, I mean, 
there there are tools that do sentiment analysis which mm -hmm. are helpful and there are a couple of methodologies which you can use to at least do an initial filtering so for example if we look at a channel and we see that uh, they have a very big dislike ratio i know that dislikes officially don't exist anymore but for anybody who still likes to see dislikes there's a great google yeah push, uh, google um, google chrome extension that you can use that still shows dislikes uh, based on the user base of this extension and we always wow. look at what the um the dislike ratio looks like if you have 10 videos in a row that all have a 50 50 dislike ratio that's terrible and that's probably there's probably a reason behind that um mm. so these kinds of things help you do an initial filtering but i think there's no way to get around the nitty-gritty of actually watching the content understanding the creator um and making sure that they're actually a, a brand fit and then obviously doing some double checks on the past as well so typically we google like when we find a creator that we think is a great fit we'd still go through a google search of hey was this creator um in any controversies over the past couple of years and yeah, it's, it's tedious work um we haven't found the perfect tool for us yet to kind of solve that it does feel like the cost of getting it wrong is a lot higher than the cost Definitely. of just watching the videos and especially if your business is word of mouth it's a lot better off that they feel well taken care of they got white glove attention all that kind of stuff i think maybe there's also a differentiation to be made between what type of creators you're looking for. Because mm. I think there's nowadays you kind of differentiate between, let's say a launch campaign for a game where you're gonna work with hundreds of influencers. And yes, in a way they are going to be affiliated to you, but not as closely as let's say an influencer ambassador who you work with closely over several months, who's gonna have, be really the voice of your brand to the community. Um, and so I think, um, you can probably be a bit more loose when vetting on the big launch campaigns where the affiliation is not as strong. Right. But when it comes to finding ambassadors there, I think you need to turn every stone and you need to really understand what the creator is all about. You mentioned before that, you know, the ecosystem changes so, so quickly and what each platform requires is changing really rapidly. What is a difference from six months ago to today that you've noticed when when running campaigns and hiring influencers uh, in gaming? The platform where we notice it the most as of right now is TikTok uh, when it comes to gaming, because TikTok is probably the one that had biggest growth spike over the past uh, couple of years now. Totally. For, for TikTok, I think, Every campaign we do is still very much a learn and test campaign where we're still figuring out what works and what doesn't work. And we haven't found the key to success yet. Um, I think TikTok is very hit or miss because of the nature of the mm. platform. One of its biggest advantages that it's so algorithm driven. You can have crazy amounts of success if you have a clip that is picked up by the algorithm. Yep. If you don't, you're going to underperform. And um, with with Twitch and with YouTube, it's more consistent. Um, you can calculate more effectively the performance that you're going to have. Mm -hmm. And so with, with TikTok, I think um, that's really where we see um, creators coming up with um, new content formats, creators from different um, industries and verticals coming mm -hmm. into the space. Um, finding different types of um, ways to engage with our audience. Yeah, I, th I think that's where we see the most changes. Also, one big 
point with TikTok is, um, and that's something we're discovering for ourselves uh, over the past six months, is how to you how to combine effectively influencers, paid yeah, influencers and paid with paid exactly. I think yeah. that's really that's really one thing. It's in the process of being figured out right now by agencies. Totally, um, it's something that we've experimented with a bit mm-hmm. uh, a bit here, where you know you would hire someone to create a video, post it on their owned and operated channels. And then depending on the performance of those videos, then you could gas some of them um, either as like promote, promote kind of ads, or you can kind of move them over to the spark ads exactly, uh, and, and see if that's good ad creative too. And sometimes it works, but actually sometimes it doesn't translate very well as ads. And that's a, that at least for me was pretty surprising, but definitely very interesting. Yeah. I I think it, also balances out one of the key disadvantages of TikTok because of the volatility of viewership, at least with the added paid media, you can have it a bit more stable uh, and let's say reduce the risk of running TikTok campaigns. Obviously the paid viewership is not gonna be as engaged as the organic viewership, but we actually see great performances in some cases still. I know for example, that your that your co-founder doesn't feel like TikTok is maybe as effective as mm-hmm. YouTube or Twitch. What's your take on that? Do you feel like there's a place for TikTok in a marketing mix where someone is really performance marketing driven? I think he has two major doubts about TikTok. Um, one is the volatility we just talked about. So how do we make it consistent and not just a lucky mm-hmm. shot every time? And the other one is about the conversion funnel. How do we actually make sure that people we advertise to end up going through our landing page, end up downloading totally. a game, buying a game, et cetera? And of course, I mean, I'm not going to teach anybody uh, that listens to this podcast this, but with with TikTok, you can't just add a link to the description of the clip. You need to go through the bio, and there's just a, an additional step that makes the conversion funnel longer, and that's going to lead to more drop-offs. Um, and I think that's fair feedback. I think that's that's definitely also stuff that we struggle with, but I have very concrete reasons to believe that you can still make it work. I think one important thing with TikTok is don't gamble on one piece of content. Make a couple. Uh, I think every campaign that we do and more and more of our campaigns include some TikTok deliverables as well. I would say we try to include at least around five pieces of content on TikTok. And typically we see one or two perform really well and the other ones not so much. Other thing is uh, on a, it's kind of a a sidetrack to this, but we also with Timo have a a game development company um, that we're investors in. Um, and the most success we saw in numbers of wish lists was one TikTok clip that went viral. Uh, it brought us more wish lists than Kickstarter, than uh, Steam Next Fest, than all the other stuff that we ran. Um, just one TikTok clip. Uh, really, you can see the day that it went viral and you can see the, wow. the long tail as well. It definitely needs to be part of the marketing mix. To what extent that's something we need to figure out over the next couple of years in your view of like 2023 and like where 2024 is going what do you see as the biggest trends and opportunities on the horizon that you're that you're kind of looking out for um i think there's a couple of of questions in the influencer marketing space right now that people are already in the process of answering. I think managing creator programs, organic creator programs Mm. is a very big topic. How do we make sure that we can meaningfully engage with creators? And it doesn't 
like some agencies are building standalone tools for it or some some mm. software companies are actually focusing on exactly that issue but it could also just be a good way to manage creators on discord for example and basically i think the way that paid influencer marketing has become very successful in a very short amount of time but then also the effectiveness of it mm. um kind of uh suffered by more and more people going into that market and the prices started increasing makes it so that the organic non-paid side of things is becoming more and more important. How do we still manage to have creators cover a game without uh, paying them? What kind of value can we uh, give them that isn't just monetary? And so I think that's one big thing. Um, I think the TikTok thing that we talked about, um, I also think AI and analytics is a topic. Mm -hmm. I don't personally see AI when it comes to generating new content so i don't think that i mean i've seen stuff and i've seen creators test around with it and i've seen ai generated streams even but i'm personally not engaged with it and convinced by it i don't think it's going to replace human. i hope it's not going to replace human beings <laughs> streaming and creating content um, but i think that in terms of um how to amplify your content, um, how to analyze your content. Um, there's a lot of opportunities there as well. And then uh, on a maybe more negative side of things, I mean, I briefly touched upon it, but price inflation in the influencer marketing space has been a thing. I mean, since I've been part of, since I've been doing this, so it's always been increasing prices over the last 10 years. But I think we, we reached a, a spot where I don't think we're very far away from people drawing money away from influencers because of the price increases and putting it back into other marketing channels. Obviously, I'm always talking from a brand agency perspective, from a yeah. ta talent agency perspective, which has been driving those price increases. They have a different opinion about the matter and they'll tell you about the real value that talents bring. And I don't doubt that. I think it's important to have this conversation and have those two opposite side of things. We want to make our campaigns efficient. We want to make sure that our clients can run ROI positive campaigns, and they want to make sure that the talents that they represent are fairly uh, compensated for the right. value that they bring. And I want to dig into the first and the last one. So for the organic creator programs, um, what what does that look like today? And What's like the best example of a creator program like that that you've seen that you think like works really well? The best program that I've seen recently is the one from Supercell. They obviously had a very good starting point, which is they already had an active basis. They already had a lot of creators, but they kind of built a framework around it. They created a lot of content for creators that makes it easier for them to record content about Supercell games, that makes it easier to get information, that um, helps them kind of on the micro-influencer side, become an influencer even, wow. or become a creator. Uh, but they've also created a platform which rewards creators for just the content that they put out, um, either by giving them in-game bonuses that they can use or in-game uh, currency, or even by um, letting them participate in challenges that they have on their platform. And it, it's owned, like it's not a, a general platform that other people can use, it's their own thing that they built. Um, so unfortunately other clients can't just jump in, but I encourage them to have a conversation with Supercell if they know anybody yeah. there. And then, yeah, you can create 
let's say, missions, um, and the influencers get points for completing those missions. So let's say, for example, create five pieces of content in that week or create a piece of content on that specific feature. Um, and then you can redeem those points for um, actual physical items. So you can buy a new microphone, you can buy mm. um, yeah, whatever, whatever you want, basically. And I thought it was a, a really good way uh, to engage with a large amount of creators. So I think there's a couple mm. questions you need to answer. Perks, the let's say personas or target audience, which creators do you actually want to onboard? Um, and that can be focused on numbers only. Like you can just say, hey, I want creators that have more than X amount of, of viewers or followers on those social media platforms. And then I think having people that manage the, the program, people that actually communicate, that actually answer questions, that actually push out new information mm. to creators. So yeah, you definitely need manpower as well um, to, to manage a program like this. But if you compare it to the cost of working with paid influencers, it's not that much money for potentially very uh, big rewards. And then to your point about the uh, the rising costs of hiring influencers, what do you attribute that phenomenon to? Do you think it's just like the maturity of the market? Influencer marketing, to be fair, has drawn away budgets from a lot of marketing channels in the past couple of years. And I don't see why this trend shouldn't be or couldn't be reversed if influencer marketing becomes too expensive. I mean, in marketing in general, this is how things have been going over the past multiple decades and probably before that. Um, Facebook was super efficient at the start and became less efficient because it became more expensive, uh, Facebook advertising. I think the maturity is the main part. I think it's a natural development. The more successful something is, the more people want to do it. The more expensive it becomes, the less successful it becomes. So that's just a mm -hmm. natural uh, development. But I do think that there's a couple of other factors. I think one factor is some brands have completely different ROI than others. And what might have a positive ROI for one brand will not for the other, uh, just because their product is not as successful or because their product has simply less potential. And so what I see when it comes to the gaming space, for example, is um, we see companies entering the space that want to advertise to a gaming audience, but with a completely different business model. Um, and their business model and their, pro their products might be great. Their business model is highly um, successful. Um, so I've seen this with food delivery companies or with um, like ready-made boxes, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're willing to pay a certain price because they know that it's still going to be successful for them. But their willingness to increase their rates also increases the general uh, rates on the market and what creators are expecting to be paid for something. Right. Um, and so I think that becomes more difficult when it comes to um, to gaming products, which might sometimes just not be as profitable uh, or have a harder time being profitable. Obviously, you can always, in terms of negotiation, you can always talk about how naturally a product fits into a certain content, and then like all there's no fixed prices when it comes to influencer marketing. Typically, everything's negotiable, and you can make arguments for everything. But it's been tougher and tougher. And then I think the other aspect besides non-endemic brands with different ROI models entering the space is also the limited supply. And I think that's even stronger mm. outside of the English-speaking creator space. Because when it comes to English-speaking creators, it's the biggest group of creators we have out there. So there's quite a lot of supply of creators. Um, and so 
if one creator doesn't want to do it with you for a certain price, you have alternatives. But in some markets, so we do a lot in Europe as well, not only in, in North America. Mm. And so in some European markets, um, we see that the supply of creators is so limited and you end up going always to the same creators when it comes to a specific niche, unless you're ready to compromise on fit, right? which typically we're not, that they are in a much better negotiation position because you simply don't have any alternatives. And so that drives the prices up as well. And to be fair, who am I to say what a fair price is and what is not? I see that it's been increasing and I see it's been getting tougher and tougher to uh, run uh, successful campaigns. But at the end of the day, the market dictates what prices should be out there. And um, yeah, the prices right now definitely in a way justified by the market conditions. What do you feel like is an unpopular opinion that you hold yeah. that maybe other people in your exact position, like, you know, they're, they aren't I mean, sold on yet? The price is definitely something that I've had the most fights about because as soon as you talk to a talent <laughs> agency, they're going to they're gonna consider it from a completely yeah. different angle, which again is fair. There's definitely two opinions about this one, and it's about how to scale influencer marketing. I personally don't believe in an influencer marketing platform that's going to automatically run influencer campaigns um, where you can just, I mean, automatically, even semi-automatically in the sense that um, you can just go on a platform, say, I want to book those five creators and then they're booked and it's done. I think if you want to run efficient campaigns, if you want to avoid fraud, if you want to uh, make sure that people are engaged, if you want to create good conversion funnels and have good sales, um, there's a lot of tasks involved in running campaigns that currently can't be well automated, in my opinion. There's plenty of tasks that can be automated. So I think when it comes to reporting, contracting, influencer discovery, tools and uh, platforms can really be helpful. But at the end of the day, we're talking to human beings where which are all different from each other and it's a highly creative space so it's people that yeah. have very clear visions of what type of content they want to do and how they want to do it so it needs to be highly individualized but yeah I, I mean and i say this also from a perspective of having at our previous agency tested the marketplace approach and just seeing what kind of issues come with it mm -hmm. um and I mean, I've seen other companies fail at it. There's, again, there's a lot of potential for automation, but I don't think human beings uh, negotiating, talking to creators, understanding mm. the problematics that creators face, the problematics that clients face is going to be replaced by uh, AI anytime soon. What advice, if any, would you have for an agent or a marketer hoping to work with influencers? Mm -hmm. I think watch content is the advice I would give. Like try to understand why creators are are being successful, what uh, what value you get out of it from an audience perspective. Try to get a feel for what different types of creators there are as well mm. um, and what type of creators could work well for you. Before you run a campaign, think about the goals. What are you trying to achieve? Don't do it because your your competitor is doing it. Do it because you think it's going to help you to achieve certain goals that you have and have a clear testing framework. As I said, the, the landscape changes all the time. So even us, after doing this for 10 years, we keep 
doing basically only testing campaigns. I mean, obviously we have a certain methodology. We know that certain things work, but we never think that there's only one way to do things and we right. have the right way and that's it. We always question ourselves. We, Whenever something doesn't go according to plan, we look at it, but even if it goes according to plan, we look at it and we try to understand, okay, why was it particularly successful, successful or why was it not? Um, the, the work that we did at Vinted with Timo really helped because they were so data oriented that we mm. tried to quantify everything. So we tried to quantify content as well, try to understand, okay, what different types of content are there? Let's try different types of content in an A-B testing format. Um, and so, yeah, I think just testing things, learnings, improving, and no no running blind campaigns in the same format every time. <laughs> I just don't think that works for influencer marketing. For testing, what is the optimal test? Because I feel like with influencer marketing, it's also a little bit tough because there's so many different variables. Super you don't know why it didn't work. Like yeah. If it was uh, the same content in a different platform or like yeah. uh, that creator just had a bad day or like actually it's this whole segment, like of maybe course. a just chatting format versus a gameplay format, like it could be different for you. I agree with you. That's that's the biggest challenge, right? There's so many different variables to consider that it's very difficult to have an effective testing framework. Um, and content matters so much, but besides content, mm -hmm every audience is different as well. So what might have worked with one audience is maybe not going to work with another audience. Um, and so you, you're right, it's it's very difficult. Um, it's more about recognizing correlations. So recognizing, mm. okay, if I actually um, do a call to action, including this specific talking point, then I see in general more effectiveness than if I do it differently. And so having those kinds of correlations that allow you to improve your briefing, improve your approach, improve the selection of creators that you do, um, that's what it's all about in my opinion. It's not about finding the perfect solution because I don't think, I think the, it's too complex of a marketing tool for that to exist. What are the differences for you based on your experience uh, at Vinted, which is non-gaming? Mm -hmm versus uh, running you know, influencer campaigns in gaming? I mean, there were definitely a lot of differences, but it's difficult for me because my, my knowledge in the secondhand fashion space, which is Vinted, is much more limited. It's diff mm. difficult to generalize to know, did a thing that I experienced, um, was a thing that I experienced like this because of Vinted or was it because that's a general right. uh, industry thing? But what I, just to talk about my experience with Vinted, um, the data orientation uh, was crazy. In general, any product that you sell directly on a website or platform that you own is yep. going to have a much more data-oriented approach because you can measure everything. When it comes to games, we are dependent on big distribution platforms, Steam, PlayStation, Xbox, um, which don't share the same amount of data, uh, which um, are to a certain extent a black box. Um, and so um, it, it makes it difficult to have the same amount of measurability. But what I also noticed is because of that measurability, we were able to very effectively measure the organic uplift we had. So mm. how many people that we address um, are actually going to go through a link to download something or to play something or to buy something versus how many people are going to organically go to the website, go to the tool, not follow a link. So people that we can't track basically um, and get something. And with Vinted, 
because the way we work with those collaborations is we would typically create um, stores for creators or the creators would create stores where they would sell some of their items. And so we would be able to track how many people actually created an account, went to that, to the profile of the creator, looked it up, versus how many people do we have that followed the link and created an account. And we saw that there was a ratio of four to one. So for each person that we brought in that came through the link, we had four people that didn't come through the link that still signed up. Um, and so this kind of information, understanding that even if you have a nice tracking link somewhere, even if you have a very clear call to action, you'll still have a portion of the results that you won't be able to measure unless you run tests in very specific conditions, how we did it at Vinted. Right. Those kind of tests are always very difficult to do in gaming just because they're typically launch campaigns where all the marketing effort is put uh, to one specific uh, spot in one month. And so you can't really differentiate the organic uplift from where where did the people come from? Did they come from the influencer campaign? Did they come from the yeah whatever, the event that I ran, et cetera, et cetera. If you had to give any advice to influencers that that might want to work with a, a company like yours or might want to get picked up for a brand deal and run a successful campaign and get chosen again. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what kind of advice would you, would you give them? From a personal experience, the first uh, way we fail at working with creators is because either they don't have an, uh, a contact to reach out to or because they don't respond <laughs> to their general email. So the very first step is, yep put your email out there, put an inbox out there. And if you don't want to manage it yourself, find the talent agency. There's plenty out there that is willing to manage it for you and kind of give you the summary of what's interesting and what's not. Because they can understand that it's overwhelming when you get 20, 40 requests in a single day and 95% of those are super uninteresting. Um, so that's what talent agencies are out there for as well, to filter the ones that are interesting. Um, so yeah, first, find a good way for people to get in touch with you. When it comes to brand safety, um, some brands are more restrictive than others. Um, and there, I think it's a personal choice to make. Do you want to restrict yourself and your content in order to become more appealing to certain advertisers or brands or not? It's often not really a good choice because if it makes you less authentic. If you can keep your authenticity while being brand safe, sure, it's always better. But yeah, if, if not being brand safe in the classic uh, sense of the term is part of your brand and part of who you are, then so be it. Yeah, uh, then I think, yeah, you just need to accept that some brands are not going to want to work with you. I think maybe in terms of repeat activations, um, what we look out for in creators to work again with is professionalism, reliability, speed of communication. And obviously that's part of kind of any partner that you work with or you would expect yep. it from any partner that you work with. But it's definitely when it comes to influencers, something that is often lacking. And it's definitely the Wild West when it comes to um, working with influencers often. And we always appreciate someone that we can rely on. And then maybe one like last little more out of the box idea. I think creators that go maybe beyond just playing the game, doing the promotion and then sending the invoice, but creators that, that maybe give you proactive input on yeah hey, this game this game was great but i feel like if they had did, done this in a different way 
uh, it would have had even more success. And then that's kind of the messages we can relate to the clients and be like, hey, look, this creator actually cares. Like he actually took the time to give you feedback. That wasn't something that he had to do. Um, totally. Those kinds of little gestures, uh, I think, uh, often leave a good memory of someone. And then uh, even if we try to involve anyone that we think is relevant, we're always going to think about those people first that actually were good to work with. Last question. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you feel like I didn't touch on or that you want to talk about that we didn't get to? One question that I thought was interesting was about the market consolidation. I think it's part of the maturity of the market as well, but it's definitely interesting mm. what kind of impact it will have on the market long term. And it definitely made me think in the short term, it's probably beneficial in the sense that there's a lot of bad apples in the influencer marketing space. Um, it's easy to enter. Um, if, if you want to run an agency, unless you have crazy platform plans or tech plans, it doesn't cost much. Um, yeah. And so a lot of people are trying it. And some of those people are uh, unprofessional, unreliable, um, not honest, not transparent. And um, the consolidation of the market and the tougher market conditions definitely make it so that those companies typically die first. Um, right. So that's, I guess, a positive short-term um, short-term development. In the long run, what I'm scared about is there being a lack of choice for brands and for creators. So both on the talent agency side and on the mm. uh, brand agency side, we consider us as like I hate the word, but boutique agency. So we consider sure. ourselves small experts. Um, um, strive for excellency um, for other companies they might not but they might still be perceived as a better choice when it comes mm. to scaling campaigns and I see this in, in practice already now we've lost um, some pitches in the past where the only reason at least the only reason the client gave us of why we lost the pitch is because the other agency felt like a safer choice in the sense that they were bigger mm. um, they had um, I guess they had more uh, employees that they could lean on. They had maybe more case studies because they were bigger. Uh, I don't think you need 50 people, 100 people to run a campaign. Right. Typically, you need three, four excellent people that know what they're doing, that have a clear strategy, and mm. that communicate with each other. And they can run a campaign of any size, is, is my opinion. There's consolidation on both a game developer and publisher side and then also on the agency side thank you for tuning into influence it was incredible having camille with us today remember with every episode we bring you the minds and voices leading the charge in the influencer marketing world helping you stay ahead in this rapidly changing landscape don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode and follow us on social media at powder gg on twitter linkedin tiktok instagram and youtube for more updates and behind the scenes content and check out black soup on everywhere where they are present and you can find Camille. thank you so much